Jeremiah chapter 40. I want to, as you can see, I want to talk to you about the subject of don't trust in any man. Do not trust yourself. Okay? And I want to uh, attempt to cover a rather uh, large narrative in Jeremiah right now. But the fact of the matter is the whole thing is a unit. So as you can see on the slide there, four chapters. I'm not going to go verse by verse with them. Uh, But it's a cohesive unit, and it's the story of what happens when people choose their own path because they simply will not trust God. Why is it so hard to trust the Lord? I could tell you it's because God's ways are always in conflict with our own selfish heart. At least until we acknowledge that God is who he is. And when we realize that God is wise, that he truly loves people, and that his plans are always for our good, then it begins to make sense to trust him. But there's still, how many of you still, when you have the, the choice, and when it's standing in front of you as far as what God's wanting you to do and what you want to do, that it's still difficult? Does anybody still feel that crisis? I'm going to go share the gospel with somebody. Maybe later. You know, it's a crisis. You know, uh, there's a competition. The Bible talks about it. There's a competition between your spirit and the spirit of God. And when we, we yield our spirit to the spirit of God, that's a wonderful thing. But then there's something called the flesh. And the flesh is warring against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And the flesh is our own desires, our own will to be in charge, our own uh, self-determination. And that's what's in conflict. If we went back to the first chapters of Jeremiah, we would see that God had a call on Jeremiah's life when he was young. And he submitted to it, but it was an emotionally difficult thing for him to do. When you come to Jesus, it's a crisis. Because you, you know that you have to abandon yourself to him. And there are times when he calls you to go do something. We put out the call, let's go to the Philippines. I know that many of you have gone, but for many of you it was like, oh, really? But the Lord was just saying, i got to go. And there were all kinds of fears, and there were all kinds of questions, there were all kinds of what-ifs. And we all wrestle with those things from time to time. And the Bible talks about this crisis, if you will, and it also tells us that when we surrender to the Lord, when we follow him, he does wonderful things. Every Bible character that you read about in the Old and New Testament, they went through these crises. They weren't easy things, but the ones who surrendered and did his will, God did great things. doesn't mean that they had a happy life. Jeremiah didn't have a very happy ending. But God worked through him. But people like Samson, who kept fighting against God, God's purposes were still realized, but he didn't get to enjoy it because he kept fighting and fighting and fighting against the Lord. And so we go, and here here we go. Everybody buckle your seatbelt because we're going to hit about 90 miles an hour here. In chapter 40, Babylon has finally been sacked. Jerusalem is under the control of the Babylonians. It's setting up the provincial government. 
And the captain of the guard took Jeremiah aside and he said to him, the Lord your God. Now listen, this is a Babylonian. All right. He says, the Lord your God decreed this disaster to this place. And now the Lord has brought it about. And he's done just as he said he would. And all this happened because you people sinned against the Lord and did not obey him. Isn't that interesting? The pagan guy is kind of giving the lecture here. But today I'm freeing you from the chains on your wrists. Come with me to Babylon, if you like, and I will look after you. But if you do not want to, then don't come. Look, the whole country lies before you. Do whatever you please. Now, you can imagine Jeremiah's feelings here. We'll continue. Verse 5. However, before Jeremiah turned to go, Nebuzaradan added, he said, Go back to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon has appointed over the towns of Judah, and live with him among the people, or go anywhere you please. And then the commander gave him provisions and a present. And let him go. So Jeremiah went to Gadaliah, son of Ahikim, and Mizpah, and stayed with him among the people who were left behind in the land. So here, here's the story. The kings of Judah treated Jeremiah like dirt. This pagan guy says, you know what? We know why this has happened, because your people disobeyed your God. But I want you to know that because you have been faithful to God and warning the people and prophesying to them and trying to get them to do the right thing, you can come with me and I'll, I'll take care of you. But if you don't want to go, you can go wherever you want to go. If, if you want to go to Gadaliah, who is now the, provin- the provincial governor that was appointed by Babylon, you can go with him if you like. I think he saw Jeremiah's face, you know, if you will. And I think that... Uh, I think that Jeremiah, given that choice to go to Jerusalem or to Babylon or choose to stay, most likely was due to his age at this point. He's probably about like Don Bailey. Okay. Uh, he, he wants to retire, you know. He's, he's been preaching and he's tired. And uh, it's been a long ordeal and he's gone through a lot of stuff. And, and Nebuchadnezzar, this guy, I'll... The Babylonian guy says, you know, you can come with me to Babylon. He's thinking, nah, I don't want to retire in Babylon. You know, I, I want to stay in the, in the place of my ancestors. And the, I think the guy kind of saw it on his face, you know, this, this conflict. So he said, oh, you can go. And you, if you want to, you can go stay and, and work with Gedaliah. It's fine with me. Whatever you want to do, it's up to you. And that's how the story begins and then it begins to unfold a little bit further. There was a group of men that came to Gadaliah at Mizpah. And Gadaliah was seeking to do the right thing. Every indication in the text here tells us that he was really trying to be faithful. He was given a job to do. He's trying to hold things together. And he tells this group of people, he says, look, you know, the harvest is coming and, and winter is coming and we need to get stuff together. We need to get the harvest in and get ready for winter. And so you guys go out and get that done. But there was a problem. There was a guy in this group. His name was Ishmael. Do not confuse him with the Ishmael of 
Abraham's time. It was just a common name at the time. And Ishmael was a little bit jealous because he actually was of the royal family. Gadaliah was not. So he's kind of miffed that the Babylonians didn't put him in charge. But why, why would the Babylonians do that? Well, because everybody that they put in charge before him rebelled. And, you know, Zedekiah was put in place there, and he rebelled against them. And they're like, you can't trust these people. So they just found Gadaliah, whoever he was, and they said, you're in charge. And he's going, all right, and he's going to do the right thing. But Ishmael is jealous. And so he initiated a coup that had Gadaliah and all of his officials murdered. If you read through the story here, you'll find that Gadaliah is murdered in chapter 41. He was actually even warned of the plot, but he was thinking, ah, these guys won't do that. That would be kind of a dumb thing for them to do if they did it, but they did it. They killed him. And in chapter 41, after he was murdered, there was a group of 80 guys that came down from Shechem. If you can look along, I'm just going to paraphrase through here. Eighty men came along from Samaria, from Shiloh, and Shechem. Okay, so if you, I should have put a map on here, but a little history here. Judah and Israel have been separated now for quite a while. And Shechem and Shiloh and Samaria were in the north in Israel. Jerusalem was in the south in Judah. Eighty guys came down from the north. The north had already been run over by the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians came in, and they took over from the Assyrians. And these guys were scared, more scared of the Babylonians than they were the, the Assyrians. So they decided they'd hightail it down to Jerusalem, or down to Mizpah, actually, to see if, if uh, they could bring an offering to God. And it's interesting that these guys all, they had shaved beards. Uh, they had... Uh, cuts on their bodies. And so it indicates that these guys had been worshipers or possibly even priests of the false god Baal because the Jews were not supposed to shave and they were not to cut themselves and do markings on their bodies. That was just what the law said. And so these guys come down and they've got cuts and you know, designs carved into their bodies, and and it indicates that these guys were idolaters, but they're coming down to bring an offering to God. Now, we don't know if they figured it out and went, oh, my goodness, you know what? Uh, Our God is false. (laughs) Uh, Maybe we better go down and and get right with God. Or they might have been like a lot of good Americans. We'll please this God, and we'll please this God, and we'll just cover all the bases. And just make sure that we may, you know, that we don't leave any God out. We don't know their motivation. We just know that they came. And while they were there, Ishmael, he comes out to meet them. And he's, oh, have you heard the news? It's so sad. Gadaliah has been killed. And they, they kind of drop their guard. And then he pounces on them and kills them. Isn't this a great story? You know, I mean, Hollywood can barely keep up with this. And, and so he kills these 80 men and he throws them in a pit. And then he realizes, oh, man, you know what? Word's going to get out and the Babylonians are going to come after us. And so he takes a group of people, he literally kidnaps them, and he's trying to get out of 
Judea, and he's running to a nearby country called Ammon. Because he's afraid the Babylonians now, when they figure out what's going on, they're going to come after him. So when all that happened, we go to chapter 42, and there was a guy by the name of Johanan. He was a Judean. He was a Jew. And he was a commander of some guerrilla forces that had not yet surrendered to Babylon. So they're just kind of lurking around and staying undercover, right? And he sees Ishmael, and he sees these people that he has kidnapped, and these people see Johanan, and they go, this is our chance. So they bolt and run, and they run to Johanan, okay? And they get away from Ishmael. Ishmael realizes he's on his own, so he takes off and, and flees to save his life. And then Johanan now comes to Jeremiah. We're in chapter 42, and Jeremiah, he says to Jeremiah, would you pray to your God? Because our plan is that we want to follow God. And so pray to God for us. And, and that's basically what he says. Pray to your God. Now what does that say when people say to you, pray to your God? What does that tell you about their relationship with God? They really don't have one. Right? Might believe in him. And so Jeremiah says, okay, I'll pray for you guys. I'll pray to our God. You know, they said, pray to your God. He says, I'll pray to our God. You know, come on, guys. And we'll see what he has to say. And they said, listen, Jeremiah, no matter what he tells us, good or bad, easy or hard, we will do it. Anybody here make a vow to God? Until God tells you what he wants you to do. I don't know if you guys remember that old movie, The End, with Burt Reynolds in it. And he's way out uh, offshore, and he's swimming, and he's kind of overwhelmed, and he's about to drown. And he says, Lord, if you save me, I'll give you 100% of my income. And he gets a little closer to the shore, and he says, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll give you 80% of my income. And he gets a little bit closer, and he says, God, if you get me out of this, I'll give you 50%. And then he starts walking up on the beach, and he says, Oh, God, thanks. I'll see you later. That's how a lot of people are, aren't they? We're in trouble. We're going to go to God. We ask people to pray for us. This is the scenario that Jeremiah's in. And he prayed, and ten days later, God gave the answer. And this is what God said to them. You know what? You need to stay in Jerusalem and submit to the Babylonians because I know what you're planning on. You're planning on running to Egypt. You're thinking that if you go to Egypt, you'll be safe. But I'm telling you, the Lord, you need to stay here. If you stay here, if you submit yourself to the Babylonians, they'll actually treat you well. You'll actually be able to till your own soil. You'll be able to live in peace. But if you go to Egypt... The sword and pestilence will follow you and you will die there. So guess what Johanan and the group did? You're lying. You've always been telling us about the Babylonians and telling us we ought to surrender to the Babylonians and you haven't changed your tune a bit. So we're going to Egypt and by the way, you're going with us. And they kidnapped him and took him to Egypt. 
So Jeremiah's retirement plan didn't work out so well. And once in Egypt, God tells Jeremiah to gather some large stones and mortar and hide them under this brick terrace that was in the entrance of Pharaoh's palace in the city. And then God tells Jeremiah, this very spot, the king of Babylon will set up his throne. This very spot. And he will put the king of Egypt to death and you will die by the sword or by pestilence. Or you will remain in captivity. If they had listened to God, they would have been acting as free men. Yes, the Babylonians would have been in charge, but they could have lived as free men. But no, we're going to have our way. We're going to Egypt. And Jeremiah prophesied that they would be destroyed there. And then we come into chapter 44 which is a long repeat of all the judgment that we've been hearing about for the last uh, how many years I've been preaching in Jeremiah. They were going to be judged for their disobedience to God. And here they're still defying the word of the Lord. They hated God's words. They were angry with God for his judgments. You ever run into people who are mad at God because they're actually having consequences for their sin? And in short, they wanted all the blessings of God, but they despised the idea that the Lord has the right to rule over them and every person. And this is the state of religion in every place, in every culture, including our own nation. People want the blessings of the Garden of Eden, but they do not want the ruling of the Creator over them. This is the age-old problem. This is the essence of sin. And so this is what Jeremiah said to them in verse 24. He said to all the people, including the women, hear the word of the Lord. All you people in Judah, of Judah in Egypt, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. You and your wives have done what you said you would do and what you promised. And then he quotes what they promised. Here's what they really promised. We will certainly carry out all the vows we made and burn incense and pour out drink offerings to who? Who? The queen of heaven. Who's the queen of heaven? There is none. This is a pagan deity. This is the Ashtara. Known in Egypt as Ishtar which incidentally our word for Easter comes from because Easter was connected by the church of Rome years ago, connected Easter to a pagan festival because Ishtar and the pagan festival also celebrated a resurrection and symbolized it with the egg. I'm not saying that we shouldn't or that's what our intention was, but I'm just telling you. The truth. Because so many times we get so much of our stuff and we don't realize how much it's overlaid with falsehood. We need to be careful when we, when we teach our kids about the Lord. So Jeremiah goes on and he says, Go ahead, do what you promised. Keep your vows. Go ahead, pour, pour your drink out. But hear the word of the Lord, all you Jews living in Egypt. I swear 
By my great name, says the Lord, that no one from Judah living anywhere in Egypt will ever again invoke my name or swear as surely as the sovereign Lord lives. For I'm watching over them for harm, not for good. The Jews in Egypt will perish by sword and by famine until they are all destroyed. And those who escape the sword and return to the land of Judah from Egypt will be very few. And then the whole remnant of Judah who came to live in Egypt will know whose word will stand, mine or theirs. And let this be a sign to you that I will punish you in this place, declares the Lord, so that you will know that my threats of harm against you will surely stand. How would you like to have God telling you that? And this is what the Lord says, I will deliver Pharaoh, Hophra, king of Egypt, into the hands of his enemies who want to kill him, just as I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. You remember what happened to Zedekiah? They killed every one of his sons right in front of him and poked his eyes out, so that'd be the last thing he would see. So he says, in short, go ahead, burn your incense to idols. Go ahead, call on your gods and see if they will deliver you. But in the end, you will find out that there is no one but God, the Lord, Yahweh. And you will give an account to him. And that your eternal sentence is just. But it will be too late. The Bible tells us the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God or gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and reptiles. And so God gave them over. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. They worshipped created things. People worship themselves. That's a created thing. And because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. And in the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they would do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, 
malice. They are gossips. God gave them over. Go ahead. Pour out your drink offerings to the Queen of Heaven. Go ahead. But in his go ahead, his cry is, I'm hoping you come to the end of it soon and see how futile this is and how wicked this is and how it's destroying you and everyone else because it isn't God's desire to leave people in judgment. He wants us to come to the natural end of things so that we wake up. They're slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but they approve of those who also practice them. Wow. You want me to leave it there or do you want to hear some good news? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone, the new is here, and all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation, and we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How do we get that? That's it. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, as we see the gloom and all this stuff, that it would stir our hearts in warning that if there's anyone here today who's fearful of judgment, fearful of wrath, fearful of of God's judgment upon their life, that they would see that not as a curse, but as your call to them to come and be saved. That you came to this world. You want to reconcile. You sent Jesus, who was perfect. And on the cross, he took upon himself every sin, every wicked thought, everything we have done was on Jesus, and you became the sin offering for us. So that when we abandon ourselves and our self-centeredness, we come back to something wonderful. We are made righteous in God's eyes and reconciled with him and then given us a message to share to others. Be reconciled to God. So, Lord, if there's someone today that needs to turn and surrender, I pray, Jesus, pull, tug, woo, until they just can't take it anymore and they throw themselves into the mercy of God. I 
for those of us who have experienced the new birth and have become new creatures, may we abandon ourselves and surrender again anew to the proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord and died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead to make us right with God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.